Turn in your, your copy of God's Word to Colossians uh, chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, if you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles provided for us, it's going to be found on page 835. Page 835. We're going to start in chapter 4, 4 is the big number, in verse 7, which is the smaller number through the end of the chapter. I'll pray and then we will dive into God's Word. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Arapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, Archippus to see, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for the privilege uh, to come and hear your word. God, just thank you for your word that you speak to us through it. Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts this morning through your word. God, we pray for those who are sick in our midst. God, we specifically pray for Miss Lillian. God, as she was taken to the hospital this morning. God, we pray. We pray for safety and healing for her body, God. We pray that you give the doctors wisdom and able to diagnose what's wrong with her, God. We pray for a clean bill of health. God, I pray that you can sustain her faith even in this as she trusts in you. We also pray for Miss Catherine Baker, God, as she's been struggling Uh, for many days now in the hospital. God, we pray that you give her enough strength. You heal her so that she's able to return home. But God, we also pray for those who are waiting for the coming disaster. God, we pray for all those on on our East Coast who are waiting for this storm. God, we pray for their protection and their safety, God. Uh, We pray for wisdom in terms of where they should be. God, we pray that the storm will not damage or hurt um, people there, God. We also pray for all those families in the Caribbean who have lost loved ones, God. God, sometimes we feel so far from different lands, but God, um, death death hits us all, Lord. So God, we pray for those families who have experienced death and loss. We pray that you comfort them in the grace of the Lord Jesus. And God, we do uh, ask for our own hearts this morning. God, we ask that you will strengthen us through your word. God, help us serve. Help us serve you, God. God, we thank you for the example that Ella and Wade have been to our church. God, we pray that we will be able to emulate that, to be faithful and steadfast uh, in our love and service for this church, for your glory. God, I pray for my words. God, I pray that you will just guard them. 
God, say what needs to be said and nothing more. Uh, Let me hide uh, behind the cross. God, I pray whatever happens here today, that it will all be for your glory. God, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your name, build your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the time has come. We are about to finish the book of Colossians. I know you're like, we are still in the book of Colossians, uh, and we have been. Uh, And I thank you for your patience. Uh, Praise God that we've had the opportunity to work through it. Um, Over the last several weeks, we've been kind of looking at different uh, ideas of how we can let Jesus be supreme. Uh, So today, you already know, it's how do we let Jesus be supreme in our service? How do we serve the King? And it's interesting because most often when we, when we look at these epistles, these, these letters written in the New Testament, we kind of almost skip over the ending of it. There's a lot of names that are hard to pronounce. And what happens when there's names that are hard to pronounce? You just kind of skip over it. Uh, you know, I know that, um, as one pastor said, is that, you know, when you read passages like this, you, you thank the Lord for names like Paul and Luke and Mark. Um, but we, thankful, we thank that this is the, the, the testimony of the Scriptures. Uh, so with, without you know, um, belaboring the introduction, I really just want to point out three things today. I want to drive three things home. I want you to serve uh, in three ways. First, I want you to serve in close community. Serve in close community. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, and he was an extraordinary man. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, he probably did more to advance Christianity than any other man in history. He wrote 13 books of the Bible. He planted numerous churches. He was an extraordinary man. But he was also just a man. He struggled with sin. He struggled with loneliness and fatigue. He struggled with hurt and confusion. Paul was a man that was able to accomplish extraordinary things. And the reason was he had help. He didn't do this on his own. First and foremost, he had help from God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, Paul ultimately knew that whatever he accomplished for the Lord, was given him, he was given the strength from the Lord to complete. That being said, Paul was able to accomplish much from God, for God, because he served in close community with other brothers in the faith. Now remember, Paul's in prison. Now sometimes we get an over-spiritualized nature of the apostles, but he's in prison. He was lonely. He was struggling. Now, why was he in prison? He was in prison because he followed God. He followed God and he was jailed because of it. Now, how many times do you struggle when you think, I'm I'm doing the Lord's will, I am following Him, and yet you experience trial, heartache, afflictions? What does that do to your soul? It causes us to be weak, to struggle, to be lonely. Following God does not always produce comfort. It often brings persecution, trial. Now, if that's the case, how important were these men who struggled and labored with Paul? Listen to how Paul speaks of these men. In verse 7, Tychicus, 
Will you tell all the news about me? He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Verse 9, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. And verse 14, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. I mean, can you hear the affections that Paul has for these men? They were dear brothers. There's warmth and love for these folks. And again, listen to verses 10 and 11. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him, for he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who's called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews from among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved a comfort for me. Paul was laboring for Jesus. And the only way that he was able to accomplish that, because he had dear brothers who comforted him in the midst of his trial. Paul's in prison, experiencing hardship, trial, yet God comforted him. How did God comfort Paul? Through men, through his friends, through his brothers. Aristarchus, who was with him, a name that we don't commonly use. Now, we, we name our kid John David, two biblical names, John and David. I don't see many Aristarchuses running around, so it's probably a name we're not as familiar. But listen to this, his resume. You know, he was jailed because he was a fellow prisoner. He was jailed with Paul for the service of the King Jesus. He was with Paul during the riot in, in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Verse 28 and 29 say this, When they heard it, when the crowd heard it, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. We have a riot going on. And this is the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. So Aristarchus was thrown in to a violent mob because he was following Paul. And again in Acts 27, he was there with Paul when Paul was shipwrecked. And yet what? He's still with Paul. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born of adversity. Let me just make a couple points. Because I think this is one of the problems that, that churches struggle with, is that we don't like asking for help. When we're going through trials and afflictions, we want to handle it ourselves. Learn from the Apostle Paul. He didn't. He was going through trials and hardships, and he wasn't alone. Beloved, do not go through trial alone. Let people know you're struggling. There have been people who have walked out of this church because they were struggling, and they never told anybody. Don't assume that people know that you're struggling. Tell them. Say you need help. But also, if you know that someone's struggling and suffering, reach out to them. I cannot tell you when I have gone through trials in my life when people have come by my side. What that means to me. I remember when Ellen and I were struggling in our marriage early in Washington, D.C., and I remember a brother named Greg Pentecost. 
and said, hey, can we watch your kids so you can meet with our pastor? And, and he, he was there when, when my wife was struggling, him and his wife. They were in our, in, our, in our life for a very brief period of time, only knew them for a year, but I thank God that they were there in that year. They sustained us during that time. God sustained us through them. Do you want to be a sustaining force in someone's life like these men were for Paul? I, I pray so. See, but not only was Paul uh, serving in close community, he was also, for, for comfort, he was also able to give the ministry away. Paul believed that the ministry that God gave him to was bigger than he could handle. That's why it's important when you come to this church when I'm not here. We're not building this church around my preaching, around my personality. We're building this church around the Word of God. We want His name to go forth. So when you don't come, when I'm not here, what you're saying is you care more about me than you do about this church and the Word. That shouldn't be so, guys. That should not be the case. But listen, Paul delegated his ministry to others. He wanted the ministry to advance. Paul sent Tychicus and Onesimus to the church to tell them about what was going on. Why? To encourage their hearts. Verse 8 and 9. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know our circumstances, that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. When you're worried about something and someone, what do you want? You want information, don't you? You want to know how are they doing so that you can, you have an ease. I had a friend recently who was going through a trial, and I was, my, my stomach was in knots until I heard that everything was okay. That's what was happening here. Paul was trying to serve the churches. These two men came on behalf of Paul, as, as if Paul was coming himself. Now, would they have preferred to see Paul? Yeah. Now, Paul didn't know this church personally, but they wanted the apostle to come. But these men came on behalf of Paul. Let me just make an application for our present day. There are many times you guys may be sick or in need that you want me to come to you, and I'm not able to for whatever the reason. Uh, it could be because of my, my neglect, my own sinfulness. Okay? It could be because I have time to study in the Word of God that I'm trying to prepare a message to feed you uh, God's spiritual food. So one way we're trying to combat that is as a deacon body, we've kind of divided our families into different lists uh, so different deacons can help uh, care for the needs of our church. If they come to you, be excited that they come. I, I've heard this before. I, don't, I haven't heard it here, so I'm not saying anyone here but I've heard a deacon come and visit a church member and they go, why did the pastor not come? Remember, you're not building the church around a pastor. You're building it around the Word of God. And if a brother comes on behalf of the church, welcome him. Because what does that deacon then do? He comes and reports to the church how you're doing so we can better pray for you. So look in the forerunner this week. We're going to let you know who's your deacon that you can look to. Uh, because I've asked the deacons for help. I said, guys, I don't want to overlook people. I want to better care for people. So help me care for the church. So hopefully we'll announce that in this coming forerunner. Paul served in close communion with other believers. His friends and brothers were one of the reasons he was able to accomplish much for the kingdom of God. His brothers were dear to him and much loved. So do you have 
close brothers or sisters that you can say, these are my dear friends? If not, why not? Have you ever asked yourself why I don't have the kind of relationships that I want in the church? It could be because of pride. Unwilling to tell people your need. It could be because of selfishness. You don't want to invest in others. It could be because of fear of rejection. Timidity, fear, shyness. But here's what I believe. If you partner with people and serve with them for the glory of God, you develop a deep, deep friendship. I can go through times in my life and I can tell you people that I develop deep friendships with because we serve together for King Jesus. I can tell you about Rudy Hernandez, how we started a men's ministry together, praying every single Wednesday for months and months and then leading a Bible study together. I could tell you about Chris Winkler when I worked with FCA who met me for coffee at 5 o'clock in the morning so we could pray together for our families and for our ministries. I could tell you about my, 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 old, my old pastor, Pastor Drew, who we labored together and prayed together for a church that God would bless that church. I could tell you about men in this own congregation who I'm learning to, to grow with, Robert Baker and, and Bobby Schellenberger and others, that we're saying, you know, we are going to labor together for the king in this church. What happens when you serve together? Your friendship deepens. So one of the reasons why you don't have friends could be because you don't serve. So serve in close community. Find people in this church that you can link arms with to serve Jesus for. First point, done. Amen. Second point, uh, serve in, serve your church community. Serve your church community. Paul had a deep heart for this church. He never met this church, but he loved this church. Why? Because the people that he loved, loved that church. And this is the end of our time with Colossians, so can I just read a few passages that shows Paul's love for this church? If you want to follow along with me, go back to Colossians chapter 1. Read with me verses 9 through 14. For this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Colossians chapter 2, starting in the first verse. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are, how firm you are in Christ. Paul cared for this church. It wasn't his church, but he cared for it because the people who were with him, it was their church. It was Epaphras and Onesimus, who we'll look at here briefly. 
So Paul sent uh, Tychicus and Onesimus. So the last time Onesimus, that's a mouthful, was in Colossae, he was a slave. Uh, he was a slave probably to Philemon. We find out in Philemon that he, he probably stole money from Philemon and went to, to Rome and found Paul. So the last time he was there, he was a slave. And he's returning as what? A dear brother. Because in Christ there is no male or female, slave or free. We are Christ, and Christ is all in all. Now Onesimus, his name means useful. It was a common name given to a household slave, which is fitting because he wasn't only useful in the house now, now he was useful for the Lord. Don't miss it. He came back to serve his church, to serve his community for the glory of God. Some scholars believe um, that Ignatius of Antioch, one of the early um, leaders of the church following uh, the apostles, mentioned Onesimus as being a bishop of a local town. This former slave could have became a a bishop in the church. But also look at Epaphras. Look at his example. Verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is also wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you, as for those at Laodicea and Areopolis. Epaphras served the church through faithful and consistent prayer. Now, I know that many of you are not able to serve like you once did. You have put this church on your back for years teaching Sunday school, 40 or 50 years. Amen. Praise God for your service. Now, you may not be able to serve with that same intensity physically, but you can, save with that, you can serve that same intensity like Epaphras in prayer. Wrestle. Wrestle with God in prayer for this church. Pray for the leadership. Pray for the deacons. Pray for the Sunday school teachers. Pray for the committees. Pray for the lost around this community. Pray for all those who came to the fall festival, that they may come and hear and believe the gospel. Pray. Epaphras and Onesimus were both servants of the church. But let me just say this. They were not superstars. They were not superstar Christians. Man, that Onesimus, former slave returning back, Epaphras, struggling, laboring in prayer, founding a church. We're not like them, pastor. We're just ordinary believers. Well, can I tell you, in the Bible, ordinary believers were servants of the church. Listen to what Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 8 say. 4 through 8. Just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. Each of you who are members of Park Baptist Church belong to each other. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it to proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. It is contributing to the needs of others. Let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Do you understand that every Christian has been given a gift from God so that you will use it to build up the church? And if you're not using your gifts 
to serve the church? You're going to have to answer to God one day, why did you not use what he gave you? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 and 11 drives this point home again. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Why? So that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. When you use your gifts to serve, you praise Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, God gets glory. So if you have gifts and you're not serving the church, you are withholding praise from the one who is ultimate all praiseworthy. We want people to praise God more, not less. And we do that by serving. These weren't super Christians. They were ordinary believers. So beloved, what gift has God given you? Where is God calling you to serve? Is Sunday school, nursery, children's ministry, the welcome committee, outreach, the sound, the PowerPoint, choir, prayer, fellowship, teaching, giving, administrating, transportation, on and on and on. Use your gift for the glory of God. Serve the church. I think about the great hymn of the faith. Uh, when I survey the wondrous cross, it says this. It says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love, so amazing. Love, so divine. That it demands my soul, my life, my all. Usually what happens when a pastor starts telling people to serve, people feel guilted into serving. A pastor is now telling me I have to, to serve. But can I just tell you something? A pastor should never have to tell a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to serve him. You should want to. Even if you had the whole, the whole realm of nature, that would be an offering far too small to return in praise to God. Now, let me add a caveat. I'm not talking about you who aren't physically able I'm not talking about you who have labored hard and are taking a break. I am talking to you who, who are able-bodied, who are gifted, who aren't serving. For your sake and the sake of the church, serve. Serve the church. You know why? God is worth it. He's all-glorious. He is holy and righteous. He deserves our whole life. Give it to Him in service. Last point, serve for the conquered community. Serve for the conquered community. We are wrapping up the book of Colossians, and we end where we began. The sermon I preached here first was Colossians um, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And I said, my job as your pastor is to prepare you for heaven, prepare you to think about the glory to come. This book is full of thoughts of heaven. 
Colossians 3, chapter 1 and 2 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. See, thinking about heaven is really important. Why? Because it helps us finish the race. It helps us fight the good fight of faith. It helps us keep the faith until we are part of the conquered community. The place where everyone has conquered sin and death through Christ. Now, even while we're reading here, we, we see the mention of the Laodiceans. Listen to what Revelation chapter 3 says to this church. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. This is what he says to this church that is mentioned in this passage. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would you either be hot or cold? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, for not, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, uh, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire, so that you may be rich in your white garments, and white garments so that you may be clothed yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Turn. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now listen, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. So as I, Jesus, also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. This church once was strong and vibrant. They loved the Lord. Yet they moved more and more to indifference, to neither being hot nor cold. I think this is probably the, 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 one of the sins that plague the traditional churches in our culture. We are lukewarm. We are neither hot nor cold. The Bible says is if we are neither hot nor cold, he will spit us out of his mouth. I'm telling you to serve because when you serve for the glory of the king, you will not be lukewarm. It protects our heart. It protects us from being cast out into outer darkness, to hell. Just because you are in church today does not mean you are in the kingdom of God. Are you lukewarm? But the beauty of this is that it says that the Lord gives reproof and discipline to those he loves. He said, be zealous, be on fire for him, and repent. Turn from living the lukewarm, watered-down Christianity of America. 
and be white hot, burning embers for the Lord Jesus. Even as we think about this passage, not only the Laodiceans, but Demas. Demas, we see here, is serving with Paul, a, a one who was ministering for the gospel of Lord Christ. It says in 2 Timothy 4, chapter 9 and 10, speaking to uh, Paul, speaking to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, the same Demas mentioned here, one who was serving God, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas was once a faithful servant of Christ Jesus, a minister with Paul, but he fell in love with the world and deserted the faith. See, when you love this world more than the world to come, more than the conquered community, you end up abandoning the faith. Listen to what 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17 say. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Protect your soul. Serve. Serve with an eye towards the conquered community. And don't just serve. Give yourself. Give your whole life to the cause of Christ. Because when we do that, we act like our Savior. We act like Jesus. Because Jesus, his life was not taken from him. He gave it. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 and 5. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God the Father. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We want to be like Jesus. That's the, that's the whole Christian life. We want to be transformed into the image of the Son. How do you do that? You give yourself. You give yourself. And you give yourself. How do you give yourself? The last four words sum it up. It says this, Grace be with you. Grace be with you. The Christian life is a life of grace. We receive grace. We give grace. We live by the free gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. The free gift that God has given us in Christ Jesus. Now, when you serve, you may not be noticed. People may not see the work you do behind the scenes. But can I encourage you that there's one who does see. The Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. Now, I'm not asking for you to be miracle workers. I'm just asking you to be ordinary. Just be ordinary Christians. Let me read what one, about what one man wrote of his father. Just an ordinary servant, an ordinary pastor. He wrote this, and then I'll close. Tom Carson, 
never rose very high in denominational structures. But hundreds of people in the Ottawa and beyond testify how much he loved them. He never wrote a book, but he loved the book. He was never wealthy or powerful, but he kept growing as a Christian. Yesterday's grace was never enough. He was far, he was not a far-sighted visionary, but he looked forward to eternity. He was not a gifted administrator, but there is no text that says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you are a good administrator. His journals have many, many entries bathed in tears of contrition, but his children and grandchildren remember his laughter. One rarely did he, did he break through his pattern of reserve and speak deeply and intimately with his children, but he modeled Christian virtues to them. He much preferred to avoid preferred to avoid controversy than to stir things up, but his own commitments to historical confessionalism was unyielding. In the ethics, he was a man of principle. His own church circles were rather small and narrow, but his reading was correspondingly large and expansive. He was not very good at putting people down, except on prayer list. When he died, there were no crowds outside the hospital. No editorial comments in the paper, no announcements on television, no mention in Parliament, no attention paid by the nation. In his hospital room, there was no one by his bedside. There was only a quiet hiss of oxygen, vainly venting because he had stopped breathing and he would never need it again. But on the other side, All the trumpets sounded. Dad won entrance to the only throne room that matters. Not because he was a good man or a great man. He was, after all, a most ordinary man. But because he was a forgiven man. And he heard the voice of him whom he longed to hear saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of of your Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have called us to serve you. God, I thank you that you have given us the gift and the talents to serve you. God, we are unworthy even to be called by your name, and yet you give us gifts to bring you honor and praise. God, I pray for this church. God, I pray that we will serve you. We will serve you with love, with gratitude, with joy. And God, I pray that we do this all looking forward to that day when the trumpets sound and we hear the voice of our Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. God, I pray that is the testimony of everyone here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.